Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered, the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. We wanted to make sure that they fully understood why their premiums were changing and to help guide them to the right policy for them. So we used behavioural science to redesign the conversation so that it was clearer and easier to process the content and explain the policy details in a way that they could understand. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC and in each episode I'm joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week we have Ella Morrison and we will be discussing how behavioural science can assist insurers. Ella's background is grounded in the academics of psychology and behavioural science. She attained a MA from the University of Edinburgh and an MSc from University College London. And for the last three years, she has been with Cowrie Consulting as a senior behavioural designer, where she has been putting her academic knowledge into practical action. And if you have no idea what a senior behavioural designer is or does, then you will learn a lot over the course of the next 30 minutes or so, because that is what we're going to be discussing today. So Ella, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. We'll come on to insurance in due course. Um, But initially, I want to know, what was it that drew you into the world of psychology uh, and from there to behavioural science, really? It's people. Um, You know, I'm simply interested in understanding people. I think it's worth saying that there are very few people in the world that wouldn't find psychology interesting. And that's probably because it's quite literally uh, related to everything we do every day can be linked back to psychology. Um, You know, why I decided to go on a run this morning why my partner chooses to spend all of his money on cycling gear, why we run the podcast, but it's, it's all about behavior. And I think behavioral science took that a bit further for me. You know, I wanted to understand not only why we do the things we do, but also why we do things that perhaps aren't in our best interest. So after some time working, I went to study on behavior change and, and focused at Carrie practically applying behavioral science into businesses. Brilliant. Well, you've already given us a little hint as to what behavioural science is, but how would you how would you define it? Behavioural science is, short answer, the study of human behaviour. Um, it's a bit of a mishmash of learnings from cognitive psychology, social psychology, behavioural economics, you know, sometimes neuroscience. But what it boils down to is understanding how humans make decisions and uh, how we can use that to improve products, services, procedures, so that they're more in line with with how we think. It's gone through quite a few transformations over the past 10 years. It's a relatively new industry, Um, but it it was originally popularized by a collection of big names. So you've got Richard Thaler, Cass Sunstein, Daniel Kahneman, who wrote books like Thinking Fast and Slow, probably a book you might have seen in in the airport. Um, More than that, it's on my bookshelf just over there. So no, brilliant. A, brilliant, a brilliant book, a brilliant book. Yes, fantastic. But he didn't apply any of his principles to writing the book itself, because I think there's about 6% of people that actually finish the book. So if you think the, the behavior he was trying to drive was completing and reading the book, it's quite a dense book. But, you know, once you get into it, it's it's really, really fascinating. No, it, it absolutely is. And uh, now is not the... No, let, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Can you summarise the book? Can you summarise the book in, in three sentences? Three sentences. Okay. So um, Daniel Kahneman 
probably puts forward the most compelling argument of the brain to date. So the brain as an organ is probably one of the least understood, um, despite being one of the most researched. And he talks about two systems of thinking and how those two ways of thinking help us approach uh, all of the decisions that we make in our life. So he talks about system one and system two, where some of our decisions are very quick, emotional, and you know, sometimes prone to some mistakes. And on the other hand, you've got our much more higher order deductive thinking that we use, which is much more reflective uh, to make perhaps a, a fewer number of decisions on a day-to-day basis. Um, so he, he talks about these two brains and how we use them to navigate our world. That's brilliant. And, and he talks a lot about the biases, doesn't he? So the, the fact that our system one brain just instinctively does various things because it has a bias. So, you know, people talk about what is it, the availability bias and that we, we only concentrate on things which are easy easy to hand and, and confirmation bias, we, we, we like to rely upon things that confirm what we already believe, that, that, that sort of thing, isn't it? Exactly. And I think probably now since that book's been written, there's you know over 200 different mental shortcuts or biases that are being built out day after day. And um, I think behavioural science is starting to move the, the field onwards and talk about frameworks and models to help capture all these different types of biases. So, yes, so there's a long list <laughs> that we <laughs> track of at Gallery. But, but behavioural science uh, obviously became front page news um, back in 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic because it was used by the government as a reason why lockdown shouldn't be started when everyone else was saying it should be started. Now, we're not here to discuss the rights and wrongs of that. History will speak about that one, I suspect. <laughs> Um, but 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 is, is that actually a, a, as an example? Is that a good example of what behavioural science aims to achieve? Um, it's a really interesting example. So, behavioural science, particularly in the UK, um, really started off in the public sector. So, in the government, with the, the formation of the behavioural insights team, sometimes called the nudge unit, um, and. You know, they did a lot of the the beginning research uh, around public policy and how to use behavioural science to inform public policy with some really, really fantastic work. I think what's interesting about this example is it stresses how important evidence testing and context is for behavioural science. So, you know, the concept of behavioural fatigue you know, perhaps didn't have very much evidence sitting behind it, um, but more importantly, it was never tested in a controlled environment um, before it was rolled out as a, a high-risk public health strategy. But I guess on, on, on the bright side, it did it did bring valuable science into the spotlight, and, you know, it means that I don't have to spend as long explaining what it is to my clients. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but that's behavioural science as it applies to uh, a nation, Mm-hmm. Um, but how, in what ways is behavioural science relevant to business? Yes. So, well, Cowrie Consulting, in, we work primarily in the private sector. So, like I mentioned beforehand, there's a real sort of footing in, in the public sector. But, you know, five or six years ago, the private sector hadn't quite cottoned on to, to this way of thinking. You know, since then, there's a lot of companies that employ consultancies to help them with this. And, and a lot have, you know, in their own internal nudge units, you've got places like Google or BlackRock, World Bank, Walmart, that have realised that that might have been a blind spot for them that have started to build their own capabilities internally. But I think the behavioural science really can be used in so many different ways to benefit businesses. So 
everything down from the organizational level. So, you know, what's our risk culture strategy all the way down to teams and individuals and, and on both sides of the coin, employees and customers. So, you know, what we really focus on is using science to design exceptional experiences. So that could be fixing existing experiences. So customer journeys, employee experiences that might have problems with them from a psychological perspective or um, building them from scratch. So making sure that the products and the services that businesses are developing are actually in line with what motivates us, you know, how we form habits, how we process information, how our visual system scans through different types of content. You know, it goes on and on and on, uh, which is why I, I love my job, the variety. <laughs> and, and I think there's a, there's a real challenge around bridging the gap between all the academic research and bringing that practical application to businesses. And how do I express this? Is it, is it something which inte- that the intention is to, to change people in order to fit with systems? Or is, it, is the aim to change the systems in order to fit with people, if that makes sense? So for us at Carry, it's always to change the system so that they are more in line with how how we actually behave. So it's, you know, thinking about, you know, what are the barriers for people to interacting with it? What motivates people to interact with certain elements and and how can we improve those so that it more closely matches how our brain works? So for example, um, certain, you know, in, in our eyes, we have more rods and cones, so sensory receptors in the center of our eye. Um, so that means that we have a propensity to look at things in the center of our screen. So if you've got a particularly um, vulnerable customer or you know important information that you really want them to, to read, putting that information in the bottom left-hand corner is going to make it really difficult for them to you know read that key piece of content. So it's using those kinds of insights. Yeah, okay. No, that, that's really helpful. So uh, it seems to me it's, it's there to stop companies making mistakes yes i think that's a a nice way of describing it okay um and why do businesses come to you what is it that prompts them to do that so i think about five or six years ago you know when we first set up carry the the types of businesses or the individuals within the businesses that were coming to us were either sort of innovators or early adopters. So, you know, they had a personal interest in behavioral science or the subject visionaries within the company, and they sensed that behavioral science could help them meet their strategic goals. So there was an an element of risk-taking, doing something different, let's try a new approach. But nowadays, the kinds of teams and businesses that are approaching us tend to be more pragmatists. So, you know, they, they might have seen their competitors work with us um, or other departments within their business. Um, they might have seen some case studies where we've, we've run some experiments and they've seen, okay, well, this is a practical solution to some of my challenges. So they'll normally approach us with a specific challenge. So we tend to start small, we run a pilot and it's all around getting buy-in, making sure that they see the practical benefits of their business. So how can we get customers more engaged with their pension um, might be a specific challenge or how can we improve a, a performance management program for our employees? Those types of questions. But presumably the, the, you would you'd be very delighted to be invited in and say, actually, let's, let's from the ground up, let's investigate everything. Let, let's work at everything and, and actually see if things can be improved 
in every corner of a business. Oh, we would love to do that. <laughs> we would love to do that. And, you know, we're totally convinced about the power of behavioral science, but, you know, at the moment it is still, it's still early days. So we can't kind of jump in just yet, but we've got lots of clients that we've been working with for probably four or five years now that are starting to get to that. Okay. Where else can we, you know, really rehaul how we do things. So getting there. Well, I hope that goes well. Um, we haven't really discussed insurance yet, and this is an insurance <laughs> podcast, so uh, so we have to move on to insurance. Um, you, you have worked with um, a number of insurers, um, and are there any examples or case studies that you can talk through with us, really, as, as to as to what you've done, uh, how you went about it, and whether it was successful or not? So yeah, we we have um, a number of, of insurance clients, you know, Saga, Chubb. Eshaw, LNG, which um, we're actually working with now to, to build capability internally. So working on building a behavioral science center of excellence, which is very, very exciting um, with them. So I think one example that I can, I can talk about is some work we did with Saga in their contact centers. So we did some work around their renewals conversations and, and they were really struggling with retention as their premiums are increasing. And I'm sure you guys are all very aware, but Saga's customers tend to be, you know, over 50s. So a, a slightly, slightly older demographic. But hey, 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 hang on a moment. Slightly, <laughs> slightly. <laughs> and, and, and up to their 80s. So, you know. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm only, I, I, I am the Saga demographic. I just like to point that out. <laughs> just, only just. Uh, but yeah, we needed to, we needed to help them understand why their premiums are going up and, I think for this particular segment of customers, you know, as you get older, you know, unfortunately cognitive decline happens. So we have a lower ability to, to process information and um, the level that, or the limit we have before we might get sometimes over, overloaded or overwhelmed with information can be lower. So especially in phone conversations when, you know, it's, it's a topic that's perhaps not something that they've spoken about with their friends at, at dinner parties we wanted to make sure that they fully understood why their premiums were changing and to help guide them to the right policy for them. So we used behavioral science to redesign the conversation so that it was clearer and easier to process the content and explain the policy details in a way that they could understand. So there were a number of, of different recommendations we made across the whole contact center projects, contact center projects for us are mammoth. Um, but you know, one of the things that, we recommended that they do. And it's, you know, we don't do any script-based work. It's all what we call playbook. So we want to make sure that they can, you know, add their own spin onto it. But we train them all up to a core level of behavioral science so they understand some of the principles and, and why. So one of the suggestions we made was we used a news source that we knew the customers read on a daily basis. So the Daily Telegraph, for example. Um, and, you know, this was a, a source of information that they relied on. There was a lot of authority that they referenced. So we wanted to use that as a way to frame the conversation and refer back to because it would help them understand, OK, well, this is a messenger that I trust. Uh, this is, you know, a place that I go to for, for reliable information and broke down the reasons why their, their premiums were increasing into three easy to understand ways. So we know from psychology, our brain processes items in three much better than any other number. So we've got a working memory model, which sort of says five to seven, plus or minus two, but three, they've done lots of neuroscience research is kind of the sweet spot. So 
breaking down, you know, the three key reasons why car insurance is increasing and using the Daily Telegraph as a way to frame that. So you could say, you know, firstly, replacing high-tech parts on modern cars costs more than it used to. That's a really easy reason to understand. You know, secondly, the pound isn't as strong as it used to be and buying parts from, from uh, Europe uh, is also costing more because of the back of Brexit. And then finally, the government has increased levels of, you know, insurance premiums. So that's increased our, our general levels of premium. So, you know, let's work together for a few minutes to get you a better insurance policy you're happy with. These were the kinds of changes that we were making to the conversations that made it easier for the customers to understand, resonate with. And we ran an A-B split test on that project, as we do with all of our contact centers, because, you know, as we discussed earlier on, testing is very, very important. And um, context is very, very important. And we got some really great results on, on that project. We you know, saw a decrease in average handling times, which is a key metric for the business. They really don't want that to go up. We had increased participation in, in a loyalty scheme that they were really trying to, to push. Um, but we had got an ROI of eight, I think it was eight pounds, 73, pounds 73 to the pound. So, you know, a really strong um, ROI off, off the back of it. And that was statistically significant. We have a team of experimental designers who are much more cleverer than I am um, <laughs> running these stats tests, you know, to demonstrate just how simply redesigning how the conversations worked in line with how their brains were, were processing the information could have a really big impact for, for both the customer, but also for the business. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a really helpful um, example as well to understand what behavioral science is. It, it, it's, a, it's the practical example of what we were discussing a little while ago, which is it, it, it's there to help a company do the job that they have to do better rather than yeah. in some way it, it's, it's making the process easier and better for the client mm -hmm. rather than trying to make the client do something they don't want to do it, it's it's talking it's talking them through something that they actually do want to do but doing it in a way which encourages them to do it yes exactly okay no that, that's really helpful um and it was interesting. I, I was uh, we had a, a recorded a podcast um, a few weeks ago with uh, Rose Goslinger, who who runs. Uh, is a co-founder of a, a micro insurance company in Kenya, selling insurance to uh, farmers, um, uh, you know, smallholder farmers in Africa. And and she was saying that for her, the most important thing to understand, or one of the most important things for her to get a grip on is, is behavioral science, how to sell insurance to people who, who don't want to part with their money, um, because, you know, persuading them that it is in their interest to do so. And, and I, I, you know, I was re-listening to that in preparation for this. And I thought, well, that's interesting, isn't it? That, you know, that, that there is an insurer on the ground, consciously thinking about behavioral science and, and how it works. So, Based on on your on what you've learned about insurers from from working with them, um, what areas do you believe are particularly ripe for behavioural change? Um, well, first of all, that podcast sounds fascinating, so I will absolutely go and go and have a listen. I think a little bit of behavioural science there, wasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's working. Um, the the fact that you know some insurance is mandatory as well poses uh, you know a lot of additional challenges. People don't want to realise the values, so there's this you know a lot of comparisons you know that our brains trying to make that make us you know make it very difficult for us to feel motivated because um, we can't realise benefits. I think what will be interesting for insurers and you know 
how behavioral science could really help is the work around vulnerable customers. You know, we're learning a lot about vulnerability. So making sure that the conversations that, you know, contact center conversations, the UX, business comms, broader, broader customer journeys are designed in a way that makes this particular segment of vulnerable customers decision-making easier. Because like we chatted earlier on, it's sometimes not the case, you know, the, the best situation to give all information possible because that can be particularly detrimental for vulnerable customers, you know, financial hardship, uh, health, um, you know, vision impairments. There's, there's so many different types. And thinking about, you know, what's the most important information that, that they need to know and how can we help deliver that information in a way that helps them make a decision. But also on the flip side of that, helping employees perhaps on the front line deliver that level of service to that group of customers, you know, supporting them with identifying those vulnerability signals, because, you know, it is very difficult to take on that level of, to have empathy for people that are really struggling and, you know, that can have a big impact on how they do their job and in turn on, on the business. So making sure that they have the toolkit available to them to, to handle these types of conversations and customers. So I think, yeah, vulnerability is a big area. I think that's going to take a lot of focus. Thank you. And, and, and looking forward, um, I mean, you've already touched upon one or two areas in which uh, behavioural science may change and develop in the years to come. But what do you see as the biggest opportunities Given that uh, you said that the three is the magic number, give me the three of the biggest opportunities um, for behavioural science over, over the next 10 years. Okay, so, well, I, I think I've mentioned this one already, but I will use it again. It's behavioural science meets data science. So I think there is so much technological innovation that is happening. And I think it's important to meet that technological innovation with psychological innovation in parallel. So being able to personalized nudges and interventions to different people based on specific behaviors, I think it's really exciting. Um, the second one is, and I'm going to be biased because it is my job, behavioral design. So behavioral design is a different area within behavioral science that focuses not only on the strategic behavioral insights, you know, building that into the development of a product or a service, but also using behavioral science to think about the execution, making sure we're designing those solutions behaviorally. If the final delivery of it isn't getting people to, to look where you want them to look, to feel how you want them to feel, and to, to sort of be motivated off the back of it, you know, it's falling at the last mile. And then number three, it is a personal passion of mine for sustainability. I think it's probably the most complex of behavioral science challenges ever. I might say. So I think, you know, that is going to take a lot of combined effort globally. And it's, you know, back to the context point, I think the future is going to be really about global testing, global insights, diversity in, in solving the different sustainability challenges, because it is so complex as a problem. So what, weaning us off the things that are bad for the planet, effectively. Yes, and, and, and being compelled and motivated to do so. I think one of the largest predictors of, of being pro-environmental is, is believing that it's the right thing to do. And, and um, you know, you can't convince someone to not use a plastic bottle every time if, if they don't believe that, you know, they can make an impact and, uh, you know, they want to do it. So, you know, there's a, there's a big different push across lots of different areas. So 
from that perspective, we can expect baby oil size to be on the front page for the next 10 years as well as over the last year. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and finally, um, Ella, in, in your role as a behavioural scientist, what, what bit of advice would you give to someone starting their career in insurance? So I think it would be thinking about the human touch. So for all your challenges, taking a step back and thinking about the, you know, the conversation, the letter, the email, the policy document procedure and, and asking yourself, is that as human as I can possibly make it? You know, if not, why? And I think it's those types of what if questions that, you know, hopefully might spark a bit of debate with your compliance team, which is always very healthy. Um, but also some divergent ways of, of thinking and perhaps hopefully some creative solutions to to do something a little bit differently. I think insurance is, is ready to be disrupted. And I think having the human angle is is an interesting way to, to get there. Well, that is an uplifting and challenging place to end. So thank you so much, Ella. That was absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. And please rate, review and share it. It really does help. Please also listen to another of our podcasts, Taxing Matters, which is hosted by my brilliant colleague, Alice Kemp. Insurance Covered is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you and I hope you have a lovely day.